the scary reality of the climate crisis is it does intersect with like loads of other topics. Bonnie, welcome to POVs here in our New York studio. Thank you so much for being here and congratulations. Today's the day you launched your book, Go Gently. How does it feel? It feels pretty good. It's been a long um, process writing the book and it's been quite a like behind the computer screen solitary process. So for it to actually be shared and to be an actual like tangible object that I could hold is like a very surreal and great moment. So I'm looking forward to later today seeing it actually on the shelf of a bookstore. Absolutely. There's nothing yeah. like bringing yeah. things to the third dimension. That's how I feel mm -hmm. being here with you in conversation instead yeah. of on Zoom. Or... I know everything is very digital, so it's good to be in person. Absolutely. Well, it's safe to say I'm obsessed with what you do. I think everything that you're building with Go Gently, beyond being a book, it's a movement, it's a community, all around your values of how you've been able to use your voice as a leader. Yeah, so before you. we dive into your book and getting into the background, something that we do here at The Conversationalist on POVs mm -hmm. is we really aim to have conversations that matter, which I know is what Go Gently is all about, talking about important issues and going deeper beyond the surface of what we see on social media. Mm -hmm. So we go in right with the hard-hitting issues. So starting off, Bonnie, is climate change really the end of the world as we know it? A very optimistic person. I don't think I would be like doing this work if I wasn't. So I think, yes, like the projected statistics and the way that we're not really waking up or we are maybe waking up, but like really governments and fossil fuel companies that aren't, I really don't think the blame should be like shifted to the individual whilst we should still do things about it. I think I'm not the only person to say I'm pretty scared if we continue to act the way we're acting or like continue in this kind of slow patient game that we're doing, it's just not gonna happen. So I would say if we continue the way we are, yeah, I mean, the climate will break down and we as human beings will not be able to survive. But I think the planet itself obviously will go through some huge planetary shift that means we won't be there um which is also a very obviously like dark and intense topic to talk about too but that's kind of can be a bit like ominous and sad too because it like flips to my positive side that i'm like okay we can do something about this there's hope so yeah i can i can go into the dark and the light when it comes to like the reality of, of the climate crisis absolutely i yeah. think i'm also an inner optimist mm -hmm. so it's great to hear that you can hold both <laughs> yeah. at the same time i think you can hold both i think it's good to like go there and like see I think also for me like I think I go there more in like fictional storytelling way like I'm really interested in like I love science fiction and I love like science fiction that looks at climate change you know and uses that as a kind of you know basically a tool to kind of create this new world so that kind of makes you think like the what ifs you know absolutely and yeah. do you feel like you're able to have conversations with people who don't share your passion for fighting climate change you know, sometimes not as often as like one would think, you know, I think to actually fully sometimes tap into polar opposite opinions can be sometimes hard just because we all live in, you know, the sphere that we live in. And I think sometimes you put yourself in new environments and you are, you know, a whole new, you know, attitude is given to you. But obviously I think, which I'm sure many people can agree with, you sometimes feel like you can be in a bit of an echo chamber of like your opinions and conversations. And it's sometimes scary to put yourself in a position with an opposing opinion 
because to me around this subject like I just start to like fume and I don't know how like great I am to like you know I would never want to like treat a fiery conversation with more fire so it's like that interesting balance of like how do you bring a kind of like cooling calm energy and like listen to people absolutely um I mean just a couple of days ago I watched this like uh interview on like British TV of this like Greenpeace representative being like interviewed about um these like protests they were making and their kind of end fossil fuel was their like you know slogan and these kind of adults on the show i guess like in terms of they were massively different in age they must have been you know in their 60s and this young woman was in her late 20s i mean i don't know if they were just trying to rile her up but she was so good at keeping her cool and calm but they were giving the absolute opposing opinion of the climate crisis and like their kind of selfish way they were going about activism and it just like the whole rest of the day i just like couldn't calm down it like really got to me wow well yeah. we can all use a slice of that <laughs> yeah. but it's good to live like it was good to witness and listen to because sometimes you can be like you know in that echo chamber if everyone agrees that this is a crisis like why are we still not doing something about it and absolutely. it's like that's not the truth that everyone agrees so absolutely. it's kind of it was a good important like fury to feel because it like helped me to like realize the importance of the work i guess absolutely if we're able to expose ourselves to different viewpoints and different lived experiences mm -hmm. we're able to find our way back to each other yeah and i know so much of your unique point of view on the environment was formed not only by your family and your upbringing mm -hmm. but also your experiences as an actress an activist and even your cooking yeah. so i'd love to know what was the pivotal moment that inspired your activism today yeah i mean like you mentioned i think without knowing it when i was younger like my family my parents very much had an attitude of like not being wasteful and really treating like our things and resources as like a precious thing and like having respect over what made those things i mean my parents work in metal they're jewelers so there's high value to metal so i think it already taught me to have that kind of respect to any material you know no matter what kind of spectrum it was in terms of like its value i guess a a developing love of like coastal environments from a young age was somewhere i just like loved to be i always had the kind of felt happiest by the ocean and felt very privileged to enjoy nature at its finest but then when i started to I guess see in my like early mid-teens that there was more and more pollution ending up on the beaches. I was just like very confused, like who did that? Like, did we do that? Is there also like a problem with the waste management system? Like what's kind of happening? And I think I've always been kind of interested in like how things operate and work. So that was kind of how my brain worked, where it went to, which was this kind of like, how how is this kind of not working essentially and so i became more and more interested in single-use plastic pollution and then i met uh, greenpeace um in the uk and i went on a trip with them on one of their ships down the atlantic coast in america and that was a very eye-opening experience in both like a positive and scary way just like we were trawling for microplastics seeing firsthand just how much wow plastics there were in every single time we put down the trawling net. But then on the flip side, I also was so inspired by the campaigners on board. And I was just like, I want to be like these people. Like I want to go home and dedicate my life to this. And they were just so positive and like they had ideas. And I was really inspired by that trip with them on that ship. And I think, yeah, it's become not just a concern, but part of my kind of like everyday values. So it sounds like it was an evolution. It was something that you were aware of mm -hmm. early on and it intensified through 
volunteering and going on trips and seeing it firsthand. Yeah, and I think a lot of things which I feel like so many people say is it's also to do with like the people that they meet within the movement that inspire them. Like I do think, you know, I obviously in my book, I interview a lot of people in the book as well because I so wanted to bring in different identities and perspective into the conversation so that people maybe saw themselves in someone I interviewed more than they saw themselves in me and that like helped them spark their interest. And for me, it's been so much about the people I have met in the movement to make me want to stay in it. So I feel like I've definitely learned a lot or, or become who I am or my attitudes through like people I've met within the movement. Absolutely. And I'd love to touch on maybe some of the people you met prior to meeting Greenpeace and mm -hmm. the people who have inspired you within the movement. When you finished filming Harry Potter, did you feel a certain desire to go out and change the world? Did you feel pressure to figure out the rest of your life right away? What was that process like for you? You know, I finished the films when I was 19 and I feel like your late teens and early 20s, no matter if you've had an experience like that or not, is a kind of weird time in your life where you're like, finding direction, you've jumped through all these loopholes yeah. of, not loopholes, but loops to each stage of life, you know, yeah. like high school, getting into college, going to college, like doing those things. You're finally and understanding what you believe in at that Yeah, age. and you've had this quite structured, projected life that is very much based on your- Echo your, Yeah, and the, the, yeah, the context of your life. So then I was at college, like already I was, had my first year of college when we were still filming. And then I finished and it took me a really long time to kind of like find what I wanted to do because I didn't, I wanted to have a break of like acting and I studied directing and writing when I went to film school. And I think to have the confidence to say like, I'm a director or I want to be a director, it took a really long time to actually cultivate that, I think. It felt fun to like start from the ground up again after being in such a huge franchise and production to actually kind of start from square one a little in a way by like making really small tiny you know short films and music videos and small productions to develop but I'm so pleased to have like at least given it a go and like tried and done all these things I mean same with just the confidence to like write a book like it's definitely something I would not have believed anyone if they told me four years ago I was gonna have a book out like I would not have believed them so yeah it's fun to surprise yourself and grow through those like growing pains of um, having the confidence to say I have the authority to you know put words to paper or like my ideas to film Absolutely, it's your voice mm -hmm. and I feel like you've been able to discover your voice at different points throughout mm -hmm. your life yeah. And being someone who has been in the entertainment industry both on camera behind the camera when you now marry that industry with the work that you do now mm -hmm. in the climate space, do you feel that the entertainment industry is helping or hurting the environment? If you look at like big scale productions that build huge sets, like it's a very wasteful industry. You know, things are cast in fiberglass and painted and, you know, things are used for maybe like a day, you know, not even weeks. And so that is obviously hard to kind of grapple with. I mean, I think there are a lot of different companies that are now coming about that are looking at waste within productions and if you know productions have a conscience they hire these people to come on and make their sets like less uh, wasteful essentially and more kind of like circular in the way that they do things uh, and I have really tried you know in all the productions that I have done to make sure that they are as kind of environmentally friendly as possible I mean I've never really I've only once built a set for um, a film um, so I've never really had that you know issue of the large-scale building stuff but, you know, I think there are very simple things that you can do um, that still make your crew happy and they're like more friendly to the environment. And I think as people become more aware of it, people in that industry who maybe 
have their role and don't have the power to decide it's going to be like this could be pretty grateful that the set is being yeah conscious and caring more than about the bottom line of like the production budget absolutely i'm sure thinking back on it you probably would have assumed some of those roles of being mm -hmm. the person on set who was helping to make sure things are more sustainable and yeah which yeah thinking back to like just that many years ago how it wasn't you know what i mean and how far i'm sure productions have come already the flip side of the wastefulness of the industry also has an incredible power to be a platform for stories that I do genuinely believe, like I think it has great power as a medium to obviously like communicate um, messages and change people's minds. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's an element to that in your new book, mm -hmm. Go Gently. And today my goal really, Bonnie, is to help our community understand your point of view on not only the world, but the environment and sustainability and living a more eco-conscious lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So what are people not getting? about living sustainably. What do you want young people to know about how to live a more eco-conscious life? I want people to know that there's no wrong way to do it. I think we've been very taught to, you know, see these stereotypes and role models of these kind of perfectionism or activists who want to be, you know, holding the microphone at the front of the stage. Like there's a billion other roles that you don't need to be the person holding the microphone at the top of the stage to be an advocate or an activist. My hope for people reading the book is to realize that like the movement needs them however they are and in whatever way they show up and however much capacity they have to show up. You know, I say in the introduction of the book that it's kind of to celebrate this imperfect in-process action. I have been continually surprised at how many people are intimidated to even try and begin in fear of getting it wrong. And if only it was that simple anyway, that this is a list of things to do. It's, I don't think it's that simple. While my book obviously suggests actions one can take, I make it very clear in the book that there is no right or wrong, good or bad, sustainable way to live, choice to make. It's just unfortunately not that easy. It's way more nuanced. There's so much more gray area. And I think all we can do is have more knowledge and information to make more intentional choices. There's a large part of it that's also up to the individual to make because I can't tell the world five things to do because those five things could not be possible for one person or like everyone's lifestyle is different. Everyone's access to things is different. What I try and encourage people to do is like, to start maybe like find an issue you care about. For me, obviously it was single use plastics um, and ocean health and intersect it in a space in the home or their day-to-day -day life that they love and find joy in. So for me, it was like cooking in the kitchen. So I just addressed my kitchen with single use plastics at first and specifically just like food. And the enjoyment I got out of finding solutions and ways to cook differently and like do stuff with my you know food waste and single use plastic waste the kind of the enjoyment I felt like meant that I could sustain these new habits and it actually became part of my day-to-day -day life as much as remembering to brush my teeth and taking my phone when I left the door. So I think that's always a good way to actually enjoy it. It's probably a, a real way for it to sustain and not do it because you've seen someone on Instagram do this one thing or your friends doing this one thing um, and not be pressured to just like follow that, but try and find like something that's uniquely reflective of your personality, your skills. Fantastic. We need caretakers, <laughs> we need, you know, people who want to speak on front of the microphone, need, you know, organizers, um, you know, people who love 
crunching figures and money and you know all those things. Absolutely. I am such a believer in the notion that having a voice doesn't mean that you have to be the loudest person in the room. Mm -hmm. And for sure. I love what you reemphasize, which is there's so many different lanes to mm -hmm. a movement. Yeah. And with the book, what do you hope young people who maybe don't agree with the notion of climate change being the biggest issue facing our generation or aren't necessarily prioritizing environmentalism at the top of their ballot, what do you hope those people take away from your book and how do you hope it influences young people? Yeah, I guess in the book, you know, the first chapter is looking at like all the systems at play. It's kind of an educational chapter and kind of try as much as I can to bring in other kind of uh, issues that interrelate with these issues, mm. like the intersection of civil rights within it or within, you know, even just the livelihoods and employers that are within the food supply chain or different things that may not obviously feel like a climate environment issue, but maybe just haven't narratively been brought into the issue. So I think, I guess it's like seeing maybe if they think someone else, some other issue is, is the top issue which it definitely could be in their opinion, how could that maybe intersect with mm. climate? Because I feel like the scary reality of the climate crisis is it does intersect with like loads of other topics. Like it do, it's not an isolated event or movement. But I don't know, I feel like maybe I'm in an echo chamber. I don't know if I am on this point, but I do think so many people and young people that I meet are deeply concerned. Like, because they have been born into this narrative like it's it's not like it became a thing that was being talked about more in their late teens right. like they've been born into these headlines whereas I like in my generation wasn't so much like it became more of a thing but I do like feel for people who it's like very real Absolutely. I think so many of us, whether we know it or not, are trapped in those echo chambers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important that we hear different perspectives and educate ourselves. And that's why I'm so excited to get my hands on a copy. Good. Go yeah. gently. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. Good. Thank you. All right, Bonnie. So here is our segment on POVs where we start introducing different perspectives from our larger Gen Z community. Okay. So keep an eye on your phone. <laughs> We're going to send you some texts and I want you to read them out loud and react accordingly. Is it just me or are most sustainable products expensive? How does the world expect us to live sustainably on a low budget? Well, I definitely agree. And a big reason for my book um, is really showing how you can make these things on your own, like cleaning products or, you know, beauty products or different things like that. I think if we simplify the ingredients, we can actually make quite a lot of things on our own. And I think that's also why we need like policy in place to create more accessible, affordable uh, options when it comes to consumer choices. Because obviously I understand and totally agree that if something's incredibly more expensive or even slightly more expensive, people are going to make the cheaper, cheaper choice. So I definitely agree. And I also don't think that like we should be kind of persuaded uh, by too many like buying the next sustainable thing when we can like upcycle and reuse things. In my opinion, actors should just stick to acting. Why does every celebrity feel the need to have a platform? Why should we listen to them? Well, first, you don't have to listen. That's spicy. Yeah, if you don't want to listen, I'm totally okay with that. I guess they definitely don't need a platform and I guess not everyone wants to have one. The acting came at such a young age, I guess I never knew that I would have a platform. Right. So it kind of just happened to me. I didn't really decide. It's an interesting point of view. Yeah, it's a good I point even of hear view. people in older generations say, you know, why should we listen to this person? And yeah. how do you respond to that? Well, I kind of also specifically like when people like a good question that I like to 
answer is like why have I written this book and not like an environmental scientist well a they would write a very different book mm. and they would write something that was a lot more like factual and maybe in my opinion a little bit less accessible on like a human kind of conversational like casual way and I wanted the book to feel very like casual like I'm just chatting to a friend so that I guess is an element you would bring whereas maybe my expertise would get too rational in my my method of storytelling whereas I'm using a slightly performative way of writing because that's like what I know right and I think it also relates to influence and mm -hmm. the ability not only for you to relate but hopefully to reach larger groups of people yeah and like to have that privilege of a platform like I don't take lightly yeah. I'm passionate about the environment but I can't help but think that I'm only one person and that's impossible to reverse the effects of climate change on my own. One person living sustainably isn't going to fix the problem. I feel you, I definitely get days where I'm just like, what is the point? Like everything just feels like you're hitting yourself up against a brick wall. But I think in that kind of, if you think about the kind of like ripple effect of change, even if it's just to your like family, your colleagues, your like roommates, if you're just shifting different habits within your home and that just ripples out, to maybe your own mental health and to, you know, the happiness and health and curiosity of those around you. Like that's just like raising the energetics of how you feel. And I think that whilst I don't kind of suggest these individual actions to reverse the effects of climate change, because that is literally impossible for any human to do on their own. But I do think it can like change the tide on like how we feel essentially and like how you can do these things to like mix up the chemistry in your body to like feel empowered again when we feel pretty lacking in that often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I, I, I love what you shared. I think that's how a movement starts, right? Mm -hmm. It starts with small actions that gain traction. And yeah. I think we forget that sometimes. I hear people talk about veganism in the same mm -hmm. way. If I stop eating meat, that's yeah, not gonna change anything. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, grassroots movements and what they've done, like civil rights movement. I mean, that started by, you know, individual people in a very grassroots way. So like it has been shown to create huge waves. Bonnie, I love your YouTube channel. As a big Harry Potter fan, it's so fun seeing you on camera again. Do you think you'll ever go back to acting? Can we expect a Harry Potter spin-off where Ginny is trailblazing the wizarding world as a climate activist? <laughs> I, I hope that. in the Wizarding World, it's just like, you know, you just wave your wand and like, it's reverse. You change it. Reuse magic for what it's worth. I don't expect there to be that idea, even though that would be a great, um, great thing. And I think Ginny would be very suited to that role. For acting, yeah, well, I'm pleased that this person is watching my YouTube. It's very grateful for that. And it's been very fun, honestly, being like a bit in front of the camera again, especially as well after writing for so long. Um, and you know, I've just been like filming most of them on my own. So it's been like a nice, like very stripped back, simple setup. I mean, never say never with acting. I never say like, I don't want to do anything again. I don't want to close that door. Um, but I would quite like to, I guess, maybe develop the YouTube series into something a bit bigger than just the intimate environment of my home that they've mainly been taking place in. So maybe I would develop the Go Gently series into something. I've yet to have the like burning desire to be acting again. I totally hear that. Yeah. Well, I've been quite fine behind the camera. For sure. I've loved watching your YouTube videos. Thank it's you. even given me inspiration about I'm how good. to clean out my closet I'm or good. how yeah. to go about my day-to-day -day life. So cool. it's still fun seeing you on camera. Good. And would you say Ginny was an inner climate activist? 
feel like she'd get behind any, I think she'd be quite like, she'd hear about a rally or a march and she'd be like, let's go, like rallying the troop. But I think what I love about like her character is I don't think she would be like, she'd be like encouraging people, but she would never like force someone or like shame them into doing that. So I think she'd be a good um, organizer. It reiterates your point again about how we all have different lanes mm -hmm. to a movement. Yeah, for and sure. Jenny didn't need to be the loudest one in the room. No, she would be like a quiet one, but she would be there and be a leader. Yeah. Okay, I have so much anxiety because of the climate crisis. I can't help but feel like the world is ending and no one cares. Bonnie, have you experienced climate anxiety? Any tips for how to navigate it? I definitely have felt very anxious toward the climate crisis to the point of like, you know, not sleeping or like my dreams affected by it or just becoming like a bit too obsessed with the topic and like forcing myself into the echo chamber of it. Um, but in moments like this, I guess I become better and better at just leaning on certain tools, which I think go for any type of kind of feeling in, within like mental health of just leaning on those tools. And for me, obviously it could be very different for other people, but I love just going for a walk, not even like high intensity exercise running, but just like a simple walk. Um, and whether that is if something you don't want to do on your own, but you want to grab a friend to do, I feel like that like moves some like stagnant feelings for me, just kind of like walking it off. Connecting to nature doesn't have to be this like epic romantic, like going on a hike in a forest. It can literally be like, seeing a weed grow through the sidewalk or looking at your own self because we are nature too. And that helps me to like slot myself back into the good parts rather than feel like I'm isolated, which I think that feeling of anxiety can feel quite isolating and lonely. So I feel like when I weave myself back into my environment through just like walking and being aware of it, it helps me to be like, okay, I'm like not, doing this on my own and finding yeah a group to exist in I feel like you know that is like the number one thing so many different people say to me that like they lean on community whether that's like a new community that they find in their town by typing in their town like environment group or whatever they could be interested in or just using a part of a group they may already exist in whether that's workplace that could be a faith group that could be your school whatever that may be like I think leaning on the community you already have or a new one is like a great way to feel less alone. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm such a believer in the notion that change happens with ourselves mm -hmm. and in community. For and sure. I think Go Gently is the perfect example of a community to join where you can find people who align with your passions. Mm -hmm. And here at The Conversationalist, our community really gathers every single day around the notion of unifying the world. We wanna bring people back together to the same table so we can learn how to coexist. Mm -hmm. So my final question for you today, Bonnie, yeah. is what does unifying the world mean to you? I feel like for me, when I feel most unified by expanding my kind of like sphere of understanding, is by like genuinely really listening to people. I think, you know, we can often have opinions and wanna talk all the time, but I feel like what helps me to unify my experience of other people is by listening to other people's story. And within that, seeing how many similarities I could feel with that person, even though their life's experience and where they exist is entirely different from my context. So I feel like if we were able to like listen a bit better and like unify in the points that actually align, even if someone could have an opposing opinion, like there are some things that are just like very similar. So yeah, I think that's a good like unifying practice. Um, and that's why I love storytelling because I can 
watch films, read articles, read books about people I probably will never have the opportunity to like maybe meet in person. Listening brings us back yeah. to the point where we can recognize our shared humanity, or as you would say, the fact that we're all earthlings just trying mm -hmm. to make the world a better yeah, place. Sure. <laughs> well, Bonnie, before you rush off to yeah. your book launch event, we have one more surprise for you. <laughs> we wanted to bring you a little something to celebrate the launch of your wow, book. thank you. We're, we're such believers here at The Conversationalist that we should celebrate the moment in which Thank our you. favorite people are using their voices. It's you don't need a birthday to celebrate someone's <laughs> no. ability to speak up for what they believe in. So Better than a birthday. Bonnie, Even got the go gently, like perfect to how it's you know, written on my book. We modeled it off the font yes. on the website and the book. It's my handwriting on the front of the book. No way. Yeah, so. It's beautiful. Yeah, thanks. Wow. Thank well, you. Bonnie, wow. It's safe to say, if you will, that my echo chamber of secrets has been opened oh, today. Good. That's a good one. I like and that. Bonnie, thank you for being here, Thank for truly you. showing our generation what it means to advocate and speak up for something that you believe in. And thank you for opening my point of view today in so many ways. And we can't wait to watch your journey. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been great.